coming up on this episode of The Clappers, we celebrate New Year's Eve with me and Carl. Woohoo! And we talk about John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And we take a look at Stan's new Australian miniseries, Bloom, and digress to have a little chat about Can You Ever Forgive Me? Welcome to The Clappers. This is Andrew Young. And I'm Carl Quinn. Looking forward to another ah, refreshing episode. So, Carl. Yes, Andrew. What have you been up to? What did you do for New Year's Eve? Well, I went to a little neighbourhood party. Um, a little neighbourhood of dwarves. Uh, to- totally. little neighbourhood party. Little people. It was a Hollywood-themed party. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Well, I do know, actually. Tell me. Because the people who are holding it have a 14-year-old daughter who wanted to get clammed up. Simple as that. Okay, so it was not an adult's party. It was a party for the whole family. It was a party for whoever wanted to turn up. Okay. And it was – everybody else in my family was out. My, my 15-year-old daughter went party hopping. Good for party her. Party hopping. Good for her. My 13-year-old daughter. You must be so jealous. I was so, <laughs> so jealous. Look at yourself. Well, you got more than one place to go? Look at yourself at 15 exactly. and look at her. Exactly. <sighs> My 13-year-old daughter yeah. was playing brinkmanship right up to the last minute. Where am I going to go? I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. She ended up going with her mum, mm. my wife, mm. down to Thanks a sleepy little... Well, no, it's not always the case, Andrew. There are people who... Have children whose mum is not their wife. But anyway, she went. She went away to uh, uh, just like three other women. Um, a very quiet not night a party, at home. Like not a party. Not a party. That as a party. I would describe not describe that, that as a party. I would describe that as a sedate gathering. Yeah. Well, although I wasn't there. I mean, they yeah, could they could have gone crazy. Could have been. Could have been like the Wicker Man. It could have been. It could have. <laughs> in fact, it almost certainly was. Yeah, I wish I'd gone to that party. I didn't go to a party. <laughs> Anyway, my kids had options, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, and it's it's my um my 23 year old my my son who does a bit of DJing right yeah. was supposed to be DJing at the restaurant he works at. Yeah. But then in the end they they said, oh, actually we've only got six bookings, we're going to cancel it, right? And it struck me this whole thing struck me that. There's this thing now. Yeah. I mean, when, when New Year's Eve approached when I was younger and actually really gave a damn about it, yeah. you'd have to know what you were doing. Yeah. Right? You'd, you'd have it locked, right? Yeah. And then in the, you know, you know, say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was this, the rise of the book your venue kind of at New Year's Eve. You, you pay a ridiculous amount yes. of money. Yes. You go somewhere. Yes. You probably get fed. You, you get your drinks and you get some sort of entertainment mm. and you're not going anywhere else. That's mm. you're, yep, you're basically that's, locked you're, in, you're locked right? That, you're so locked in. That's yeah. Spot. Yep. yeah. But it, what strikes me now is these young people, the mm. young people today, yeah. are basically they're so obsessed with having options open to the yeah, last yeah, minute yeah, yeah. that this whole notion that you lock it down and you go, this is the plan, this is what we're doing, right? right okay, I'll see you in two weeks, right? Yeah. Forget it. That's not happening. Advanced. That's right. It's not yeah. happening. And it's really interesting that yeah. there's this shift that's underway. So what are they doing? They're, Have you infiltrated it? They're spending all of their time on Snapchat and Instas and whatever, so basically saying, what are, what are you doing? Well, lol, blah, 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 see you there. Me. go anywhere or do anything? Well, this is the thing. Yeah. You know, my 15-year-old, yes, ended up going to one party and yes. then to another so via parties. an Uber. Parties yeah, house in, parties. In yeah, houses. With yep. parents around okay, and right. so on. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. That's pretty Hilariously, hilariously, yeah. when I went to pick her up in the morning, she was tired, but she'd, she and her mate had gone to sleep. Mm. But a whole bunch of the other kids stayed up all night. That's what I would have done. Well, they're in training for when they get the disco biscuits. Yeah, they yeah, just want to yeah, yeah. know that they're match ready. Yeah, Woo, that's what ready I, to go. I would definitely have done that. Yeah. If, in fact, I did do that at 15. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, but the 13-year-old yeah. was had so many options on the go. If she was like, you know, Devo, freedom of choice. You so know? When I said, what did there you, was a what poem in ancient Rome about a dog who had two bones. He licked the one, he licked the other, he couldn't settle, he dropped dead. That's what she did. So when I asked what you did for New Year's Eve, yeah. you really just obsessed about what other people were doing for New Year's Eve. Uh, look, I was quite happy to just sit at home, but in the end I thought, oh, Did you go to a party? I'll, I'm glad I'll, you, I'm I'll glad walk you around. Did. I'll walk down the laneway yeah, yeah. around to my neighbour's house. Party? It was fun. You know, yeah. it was nice. It was like low-key, you know, about 30 people, blah, blah, blah. It was just, you know. That's went up fine. onto the railway bridge to watch the fireworks. Oh, you could see them from there. Yep, yeah. and then went, ah, that's it, I'm ready, I'm going home. Yeah. Had a couple of years. I mean, I, was, I worked on the day and you I worked did. on you the day after, so yeah, it was I, like, you know. I wasn't at work today. Yeah. What about you? What did you do, Andrew? I did something that I never do. What's that? I went to one of those things that you just Oh, wrote. no way. Like yeah. the $150 yeah. lock-in, yeah. you're yeah. never leaving. So so it was a, it was less than that. Right. As, as you of course, would, as you of expect, course. As you would expect. <laughs> it was less than that. And, and with your pensioner discount, less still. And there were a couple of bands and a couple of DJs and there was f- food, but I didn't expect it to be a meal. All right. And, of course, it ran out mm. before half the people oh, got it. really? <laughs> I was lucky. The whole point of those things yeah. is that they can cater. <laughs> I was lucky that I had some, and what it was was really – uh, a glazed bun with some pork and some salad in it. Right. Which is very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Right. It satisfied me. Yeah. Uh, I've been eating a lot less over the last year, so I'm able to be satisfied I, by, I, by When one, you turn sideways, I can barely see you. You're wasting away. bun. And, and, you know, that was fine for me, but there was some fury yeah. by the people who who would only manage to grab a spring roll or something as they were coming around before the main meal. And they're locked in. They can't get out. It's like an episode of Fear the Walking I, I Dead. I think you could get in and out. But the, the normally I'm, I'm working on New Year's Eve and I've never seen the fireworks. Right. Right. right, right. I even did a gig in Birurung Ma on a big stage and it was – I don't know if you remember, it was maybe 10 years ago. The rain was so torrential, cars were floating down the street, you know. <laughs> and so they cancelled it halfway through. So I, really? I, I got, got They cancelled the fireworks or they cancelled well, New they, Year's they, Eve? They, they seemed to cancel the whole of New Year's Eve and right. started shutting everything down when the electricity boxes started <laughs> sparking and exploding. And so I got in the car, went home, took off my drenched suit, put on another one and went to where I was also working that night and managed to see like a tip of a firework because the rain, of course, stopped after it was cancelled. So anyway, I haven't actually seen them. So I was down at a place right on the river where uh, and outside where I was actually able to see the fireworks. And it's great. I love fireworks. It was wonderful. It was, it was worth the money that I had spent to go in advance and, and, and go to this thing. You know, it was really worth doing. But, yet yeah, I'm not somebody who can – I hate those ticketing things, whether you have to pay fees and you have to give them your life story and have passwords. I'm, I really will avoid doing that if I possibly can. You mean booking online? Is yeah, that what yeah, you're talking yeah, yeah. about? I was fortunately able to give the money to the man with actual real-life currency rather than go through that whole business. And I'm grateful to have been able to do so. And it was, it was great. I didn't mind the, the – there wasn't enough food – you're only supposed to get one free cocktail, but I did manage to get two because I'm charming, it would appear, and <laughs> the cocktails were fruity. Did we get to vote on that? Were fruity, and there was so much maceration of alcohol, like you really didn't need the cocktail. You could have just ate the fruit, which of course right. I did two times. Right. And, yeah, it was very satisfactory and very easy. It was, you know, Flinders Street Station's just there. It was very easy to get hither and yon afterwards and, and it was fine. I had a great news even. It was unlike any I've ever had before or probably will ever have since. Were you out late? 
What time did I get home? I would say not late. I'd say home by 2.33. Okay. And I stayed up for an hour or two reading. So, you know, it wasn't a late night. No, not by my standards. Happy New Year. Speaking of New Year, Andrew. Yep. On New Year's Day. Yep. Stan dropped a new Australian series called Bloom. Okay. <coughs> Australian news. Australian. Okay. Australian. This is actually pretty good. Good. Well, I, th- I say it's pretty good. Yeah. Having seen three of the six. That's oh, enough. No, well, no. I mean, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. it is enough. It is enough to say that the three are good. Are good. Well, right? What's the problem? Well, there are three more. <laughs> they could go completely <laughs> off the rails. It could be totally off the rails. I don't know. Do you find that often? Three good uh, ones and then three rubbish ones? Well, did you watch uh, Did you watch the Foxtel Picnic at Hanging Rock? No. You, well, I can barely watch the other one. <laughs> kept falling asleep. Never classic, seen that film. Classic schmassic, you said. Never seen that right, film. Right, okay. Well, I've uh, tried to. Okay. The the Foxtel uh, six-part Re, well, reimagining, let's let's say, of Picnic at Hanging Rock. I thought the first episode was really, really interesting, okay. really, really great yep. and exciting and visually stimulating and, like, love the soundtrack, what they were doing with it. Um, and, you, you know, it's much stronger female characters. It was all – it was interesting. Where's this mm. going? And then I – by the time I'd finished watching The Six, I was still going, where's this going? You know, okay. it was kind of – it was somewhat baffling okay. and – well. Still thin. I think. Mm. I think ultimately, you know, like the film is a kind of mood piece, yep. really, about an, an ethereal uh, event mm-hmm. that, of course, didn't actually happen. Although many, many people falsely did. believed that it did. Yeah, it's and, a novel, isn't it? Mm, it Work is a novel. Uh, it's, a, it's a novella. It's a very, very yes. thin novel by Joan Lindsay. Anyway, so the the TV series kind of, you know, expanded that. But it's still ethereal, you know. Yeah. It's still fundamentally a very slight kind of story. The I reason think. you mentioned this was because you've seen three good ones and you're not sure what's happening next. That's right. So, 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 so Picnic that, that, Hanging Rock so, wasn't so like, Picnic Hanging Rock yeah. started off bang great, yeah. and then Gold. I just went yeah. where well, okay. you know. So by the end of it, it felt Handmaid very unsatisfying. Handmaid's Tale? No, I didn't like the second series. No, no. But but it, at least kind of you know, I don't think it lost its I impetus. Seen, I haven't seen the second right. series, so okay. I've got enough for an opinion. Didn't like the way it ended, yep. uh, but I'll, I'll come back and watch season three, right? Oh, there's a three. Oh, yeah, of course there's a three. Oh, I don't know. Yes, okay. there's a three. There well, has to be a you three. You didn't believe me there'd be a season five of Vikings. <laughs> and what do you – what eat your words. <laughs> anyway, Jim? anyway, Bloom, there is definitely an episode four, five, and six, which Good. I have not yet seen but will be uh, setting aside the time to, to watch very soon. It's a really interesting se- uh, series. It's Australian made, written by a guy called Glenn Dorman or uh, created by a guy called Glenn Dorman. Uh, and it is basically directed by John – the first three episodes are directed by John Curran who made Praise and Chappaquiddick and Tracks. You know, he's a film director. Yes. And he brings a very kind of filmic style to this. You've got Brian Brown, you've got Jackie Weaver, so big big name, uh, you know, older generation cast. Yeah. You've got Ryan Kaur and Phoebe Tonkin who are, you know. Unknowns. They're not unknowns. They, they actually unknowns. have. <laughs> unknown in your household, maybe. <laughs> they have. Appeal to a younger cast, a younger audience, let's say. Are Phoebe they on Tonkin. Home and away? Well, Phoebe. Uh, home and away? Uh, I think Phoebe Tonkin. Was she on Home and Away? I think she may have been on Home and Away. She's done a lot of. She did H2O, uh, Just Add Water, which was a kids' series about okay. mermaids. She did uh, Vampire Diaries. She did the originals. She's done a lot of stuff that's in the supernatural space. Okay. Right? And Bloom is in the supernatural space. 
but it's in a very different part of the supernatural space than those shows. I mean, there's a whole... Netflix in particular is full of these shows that are kind of like teen-oriented, supernatural. They've got werewolves, they've got vampires, they've got whatever so and they is, all basically them, run it? no it's not no Good. this is why i'm this is why i'm a making the point that it, it's a di- because she comes from that background oh, okay. right and i would imagine that in casting this show that the execs at stan have done a little bit of the algorithm kind of magic oh, yeah. and yeah. gone well jackie weaver hits that audience yeah. brian brown hits that audience yeah. ryan core hits that audience and phoebe tonkin hits that audience okay. right sure. she's got four million instagram followers but you know that oh i don't know if that's the real number okay. but you know a lot she's got a lot of instagram followers so it's you can kind of suspect the machinations of uh of you know the data set coming yeah. coming into play but it's a really interesting story. Basically, it opens with a flood. Country town, mm. uh, big big storm, and um, and there's a flood comes through. You get this kind of sense of a massive wall of water that sweeps through, a la Toowoomba in mm. 2011, and five people get get, uh, get drowned. They yep. disappear. They die. And a year later is where we pick up the story. So you get this very quick opening scene that sets up the, this yep. flood, and then a year later uh, we're in the town and these plants appear that have this sort of little yellow berry yeah. that when consumed rejuvenate the person who's eaten them and they they restore them to a, a more youthful version of themselves. So Jackie Weaver's character, is she's got Alzheimer's, She's in her early 70s. She's doddering about, and she's a former TV actress. She becomes rejuvenated uh, in the form of Phoebe Tonkin. It's, it's improbable, but... Oh, well, okay, uh, all right, let's go. It's more than improbable. It's more than improbable. It's not very likely at all. But it, what I like about it is, is that it's kind of... Th- this fantastical scenario is anchored in this quite realistic uh, sort of, I, I guess, day-to-day existence. It's like you, it feels like you're in a you're in a country town with all of its attendant problems and and the you know benefits thereof and and there are people pottering around being old or being. I have to say that mm. what I'm thinking as you're mm. describing this mm. is that they've got an idea for a show, and they've and they've got the demographics and they've got the old people, the middle-aged mm. people, the young people. What's really good is you can get rid of the old people and turn them into hot people. Well, so now you've got a show full of hot young people. No, not entirely, because not everybody who takes the berries yeah. is rejuvenated. So what you end up with is Brian Brown's character is married to Jackie Weaver's character, but then suddenly Brian Brown's character is married to Phoebe Tonkin's character. Ah, so he that doesn't, creates he doesn't an, get the berry. Well, he tries a berry. <laughs> doesn't work, man. Doesn't work. Uh, you feeling it, man? Of course he bloody does. Hey, man, are you feeling anything? <laughs> no, man, this berry's not working oh, for me. this worries me. No, it's, it's actually, it's yeah. pretty good. Okay, it's pretty okay. good. I, I don't Again, doubt. again, I, I yes. say on the basis of the three I've seen, yes. it's pretty good. So you're, you're, you have reservations? No, no, okay. I have uncertainty about where it's going. Yeah. But on the basis of the three I've seen, I have no reservations. I think it's actually really, really good. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. So that's Bloom. Yep. On Stan. On Stan. You can't run down the road naked, mate! I never look back. Play back on me! Hey!
its secret. Okay, so you've been publicly shamed. Oh, God, again? Mm. Uh, what have I done? It's an interesting thing, shame. It can be said to be the worst thing that could happen to you to lose your credibility, to lose your uh, your seriousness, your identity, mm. Mm. To, to have whatever you do questioned and proven to be false and to no longer be whoever it was that you thought you were. Mm. And there's a book by John Ronson called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Right. And it's on some various case studies that, that might be well-known, maybe not so well-known here, maybe they are. Is this a current release? Is it like Yeah, it's a couple of years old. Oh, it's a couple of years not, old. It's okay, not brand yeah. new. Yeah, I yeah. apologise for that. It's not brand new. I, I've been So it doesn't go Harvey Weinstein territory, for instance? No, 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 no. It goes the territory of a, an author called Jonah Lehrer, Mm. And it, who 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 was found to have? Uh, it was a best-selling author of semi-pop science books that uh, explain various neurological things, and and also gave a lot of talks. And it was found that that he initially had made up some quotes about Bob Dylan, right? And it was very innocuous. And more and more research, more and more digging, uh, revealed that he had. Almost everything he'd written had either recycled other things that he'd written or just didn't have the basis in. in so there was a story just recently about yeah. a German journalist who was outed yes. for this. The you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this man feels that that he, obviously he 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 feels that his life has been ruined by the the public shaming. There's a PR woman, Sacco is her surname, and she tweeted. I can't even I can't even really say what she tweeted, but it was very widely. Uh, retweeted and I think everybody will have heard of this person who got on a plane in London and tweeted something about visiting South Africa and by the time she got to South Africa the world had turned against her so anyway this book is about people who have had their livelihoods taken away from them rightly or wrongly and Ronson really wants to examine why it's necessary to shame people he goes and visits a judge who was well-known and is now a member of uh, the House of Representatives in the US, well-known for instead of sentencing people to prison for crimes that would normally attract a prison sentence, has them shoveling manure and walking around with signs around their necks. Put in the stocks? Not put in the Pelted stocks. with fruit? No, 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 no. But it's not that, not that far from it's that not, concept, it's, is it's it? Not, look, only, it's only in the last few decades that, that one state, I believe Delaware or Rhode Island, Took that off the books. Really? Yeah. When was it last used? Yeah. Oh, probably not for a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But the idea that that prison doesn't necessarily yeah. make a difference in terms of recidivism. There's a claim that that the first offenders, anyway, whether they they've, they've killed someone in their car by being drunk. I mean, these are serious crimes. Thank this judge. And feel their lives have been turned around by this right. utter public shame and humiliation. Right. One guy has to carry photographs of the people that he's killed in his wallet and send uh, money every week, write a check, yeah, send right. it every week to the, the family, like a $10 amount or something. Yeah. Like these are really specific and at times medieval forms of, of punishment that this judge, who doesn't turn out to be the monster that Ronson expects he may be, feels is a, is a, is a better way of dealing with crime mm. than putting them in a big hall with lots of nasty, nasty people, you know, for 20 years. That's fascinating. It I mean, is. I mean, you can, you can see how, I mean, if you send somebody to prison, they can, they can either become further brutalised yep. or, or brutalised. Let's, let's assume yep. they were not brutalised to start off with. They can be brutalised or they can, they can start, they can kind of own the experience of being in prison and take it on as a mark of, of honour. 
So the very opposite of shame. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so and they yeah. can emerge from yeah. that and that's their kind of that's their new armory, that's their new shield. Mm. The notion of shame, I think, sort of puts people in in uh, in contact with the victim. It does. Uh, or their family. And and the notion of responsibility yeah. for that and owning a connection mm. instead of instead of a, a withdrawal, which is yeah. what the, the prison experience I think often uh, amounts to. Well, here in Victoria we have something called the Neighborhood Justice Centre. Yeah. You know about that? Yeah. Yeah. So people who've committed various crimes sit face-to-face with yeah. the people who've been affected by those crimes. And this is not a shaming exercise. It's a, an exercise in, in trying to come to a, a different way of, for the sake of brevity, punishing, mm. which I don't think that's really the right word. Atoning. But atoning, yeah, for, for, for the crime that's been committed. Mm. And it's, it's considered to be a great success, mm. the Neighbourhood Justice Centre, which, so it's a different way of trying to keep people out of prison and, and try to get them to see responsibility and see the effect of their crimes, whether it's something like burglary or assault. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting concept. and I think shame is a really interesting concept because we – well, Bronson definitely starts out with they and comes around to we. Right. And feel that with things like Twitter and the internet, we have this anonymity and can come down hard and heavy on people mm. who we feel have transgressed our notion of what is right or yep. fair or proper. And it's interesting so far that, that – the women who have been shamed have had, as you would expect, the most awful and violent things, mm. you know, written or, or tweeted or put on Facebook about them. The men have lost their jobs, and one of the people being interviewed in the book says, like, that there is an equivalence in that. Like, the worst thing for a man is to lose his job, whereas the worst thing for a woman is to be raped and murdered, which is is not an equivalence, of course, that a, a reasonable person would make at all but it's an, it follows an interesting progression between the idea of, of what is good for us and what is good in terms of the way a person must or should atone mm. the man who feels his life is destroyed still lives in a three million dollar house that was once owned by the great photographer julius shulman he still has that house you know he still has money in the bank his riches weren't taken away from mm. him his reputation was but for some people that's you know, he, he he gives a very interesting apology, non-apology, which is very common these days. Yes, yes. Um, Rodson's books are hilarious. He's he has an understated way of writing and a very gentle humour that can be coruscating at times. And I, another author where you hear his voice, has a very soft Northern uh, England accent, and it's wonderful hearing him talk. But it's also great. I mean, he wrote books like The Men Who Scare at Goats, which was a, I've read that, a, yeah. a, a film as well. I, not, not so good. Men Who Scare at Goats is a good book. Good Them, book. Yeah. Them is good about psychopaths yeah. and, and The Psychopath Test, which is, which is great. I think everybody should read The Psychopath Test, not so much for its humour, but for what it, what, what it reveals about what we consider psychopathy to be. Mm. So, yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm finding very interesting. So you've been publicly shamed and I recommend it. Just to you, nobody else. Okay. Don't anybody else read it? I just want Carl to read it, not you. I feel almost like I'm being singled out, mm. shamed even. The finger has been pointed. It has, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I want to I yes. just pick up on, on that notion of shame and public figures being humiliated yes. uh, with reference to a film called Can You Ever Forgive Me? I uh, don't okay. know if you're aware of this, based on the story of Lee Israel, who was mm. a literary biographer in the 1980s. And uh, fell upon hard times. She put out a what she later described as a uh, an underprepared book on Estee Lauder, and she rush released it, or her publisher rush released it, because 
uh, Estee Lauder had tried to, reportedly, had tried to bribe her into doing a favourable take. She'd refused. Okay. And then Estee Lauder went, right, well, then I'll put out my own book. So yeah. that then put pressure on the publisher. Mm. Like, we've got to get ours out before hers comes out. You because once me, hers is out... You make me think of Bill Gibson, of course, where you say well, book yeah. has been rushed into publication. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Estee Lauder really did exist, I think. And yes. anyway, Lee Le Israel wrote this book. It got damned. And that was kind of the end of her... Uh, sort of heyday as a as a. And it was damned for what reason? For being poorly researched and written, and okay, just wasn't ready to be it published. Wasn't ready, basically, right. yeah. it wasn't like false or anything like that. Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, no. I, I've not read it. I'm just no. you know uh, from, what, from what you know, from yeah. watching the films, you didn't write. No, it's just it was just like it went too soon. It yeah. was under you know undercorrected, underproofed, under yeah. under researched, under structured, whatever. Um, anyway, so she then became a forger of literary letters so she she stumbled well as as this film can yeah. you ever forgive me which stars melissa mccarthy as lee israel and this is melissa mccarthy not playing warm and cuddly and funny or brash or any of those things mm -hmm. she, she is just an acerbic misanthrope she's right. just a you will love her yes. she's such yes. a nasty <laughs> piece of work sounds great <laughs> <laughs> and um and she basically just she stumbles across uh, a a letter in a book when as she's doing some research in a in a public library an and, actual one a, an actual one yeah. and goes oh hang on what's this pockets it and then sells it to a Rick Gukowski sorry Rick Gukowski who's Rick That's his Gukowski wrote uh, Tolkien's robe or something he's a dealer in the hugely um, a successful dealer in. Yeah, the fountain pen of George Orwell, or right? First edition. Right, 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 right. He's got a bookshop that has like four books in it. He's trying to keep his get his narrow it down. down Where is this? In London. In London, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now he he travels the world finding stuff. Right, right. You know, so Sylvia Plath's wetsuit. <laughs> Virginia Woolf's nose cone. <laughs> Sylvia Plath's oven lighter. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, she she basically finds this piece. Mm. She sells it. Uh, gets a response that, oh, it's worth about 50 bucks, but if uh, if it were more interesting, it'd be worth more. So she goes home. She uh, makes it more interesting. Makes it more interesting <laughs> and sells it to somebody else for more yeah. and then goes, hmm, this is a nice so little earner. So she types the letter. So she types these letters. She, uh, ah. in, 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 uh, in actual fact, she, she had a collection of typewriters of various vintages and, of course, she tore out the loose leaf, uh, papers from the backs of books and so on to give herself uh, paper from the from the, the right yeah, yeah from the right yeah. age and she wrote these letters from the likes of Noel Coward and and Dorothy Parker and so on and and the line the title of it can you ever forgive me mm. is is from a letter she wrote that was allegedly Dorothy Parker apologizing for her drunken behavior at you know the night before or blah 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 can you ever forgive me so it's it's a fascinating story, yeah. And it's it really, is, it it's, really is, yeah. It's and true. You say. It's true. It's, it's true, true story, yeah. And it's it's effectively a two hander. It's it's mm. uh, it's Melissa McCarthy as Lee Israel, and it's Richard E. Grant as her friend. Uh, well, sort of friend. Yeah. She's the sort of woman who doesn't really doesn't have, really friends, have friends. So <laughs> her drinking companion, <laughs> and uh, and he really existed as yeah. well. Uh, he ended up. Dying of AIDS in I think the mid to late nineties, and it's just a really interesting. It sounds great, fascinating little story. Well, that's interesting because I love stories like that. Yeah, I actually have 
books. There are no heroes. There of, are no heroes letters, in this story. You know, I, I find that Kenneth Williams' letters, Noel Carroll's letters, they are really interesting. Right. Authors' letters to each other, especially about each other, are often hilarious. And, and the idea that somebody gets on, yeah, there's a market, and there is. Anytime you hear Rick Koski speak, if I am remembering his name correctly, I think I am, is fascinating how he got into rare book dealing, how the kind of characters you meet, how he got Tolkien's cloak, and how you know the things that people want mm. to connect themselves with the author that they love. People really want some tangible stuff when they love a book, and whether it, whether it is a fountain pen or a bathing cap or whatever. I mean, Tolkien was an author people may have heard of who wrote some fantasy books set in some like New Zealand or somewhere, but he was an Oxford Don and he had a cloak. And so people who like him would be really happy to have that cloak hanging up in their wardrobe and they can just put it on when they read a book of him or so or have a party. I'm getting a bit cold. I might put on Tolkien's cloak. The cloak of invisibility. I'll say that because I know that you will have no idea what I'm talking about. Cloak of invisibility. Yeah, cloak of invisibility. Cloak makes you invisible. Why wouldn't I know what that means? That's from Harry Potter. It's not from ha- Harry oh, Potter. Oh, Jesus. Harry. <laughs> oh. Quite by accident, I find myself in a rather criminal position. What criminal activity could possibly involve it, except a crime of fashion, of course? I'm embellishing literary letters by prominent writers. I love his writing. Caustic wit. <laughs> this is quite something. Name your price. Sounds like a good film, Carl. Mm. I'd like to see this film. I like films with cranky people in them who nobody likes and have no friends. They're my, they're my people. Okay, that station agent has a guy in that who's, who's cranky. Peter my, Dinklage. Yeah, my mm. type of guy, mm. Peter Dinklage. Mm. And he goes on to play that character often in in the, in Bruges. He plays that character for a bit, and in that other show with the dragons and the make-believe people. There may even be a cloak of invisibility in that one too. Maybe. He, he also <laughs> plays a character like that. I love people like Oscar Lerner uh, was always played an, an irascible character who was miserable and misanthropic but hilarious. Okay. Um, I love characters like that. So to circle back yes. to the notion of shame. Yes. Of course she, she gets she caught. Gets found out. Yeah, in yeah. the end. Her yeah. career's over. Um, Such that it is. Well, yeah, the, the, well her, <laughs> secondary, her secondary career, which was actually <laughs> quite, money. quite yeah, lucrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, forging will give you And she, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful scene in the film mm. where she's being sentenced and, and yeah, she's, 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 <laughs> she's, being, she's being paragraphed <laughs> and she's, she's given the opportunity to say a few words and, and she basically says, uh, I'm not sorry. This is some of the best work I've ever done. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Anyway. So recidivism, does she – do you know what happens now? Did she leave prison and continue to be fraud? No, she didn't go to prison. Oh, okay. No, right. no. no. What's um, it called again? It's Will called Can You Ever Forgive Me? It's a good title. Oh, it's a very good title. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to see it. Yeah, good. One day. Anyway, but that's it for this episode of The Clappers. If you enjoyed it. Tell your friends. 